Genesis 21. I'm going to read the text. I'm going to tell you, remind you of what we talked about today. Now, I, I always try to give one main truth. And the main truth that I gave this morning was one that we've all heard before. And that is that God always keeps his promises. And so uh, here in this narrative that the scripture gives us, uh, chapter 21, I'm, I am going to read verses 1 through 8 again. And that is, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age. At the set time of which God had spoken to him, and Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And it's interesting, one writer this, uh, pointed this out, and I believe it's absolutely accurate and true. She didn't say, all that will hear will laugh at me. <laughs> she said, they'll laugh with me. And I want to tell you that the word laugh there, or laughter, literally can mean, and we understand it to mean in its implication, rejoicing. Laughing not in a sense of unbelief, laughing not in the sense of ridicule, but laughing in the sense of almost astonishment, but astonishment mixed with praise and worship and blessing to the name of the Lord. Have you ever, maybe this has happened to you, have you ever experienced something that was, in one sense of the word, totally unexpected, we would say miraculous, even though it may not have truly been miraculous. I'll give you a for instance. Now, y'all know I'm a sports fan. I like sports. Um, I participated in sports in high school. We were at lunch today, and uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to embarrass this this little guy. But uh, Tanner Griffin said, "Mr. Christian." Because I, I was talking about uh, sports in high school. That he was like, you played sports in high school? I'm like, yeah. He's like, <laughs> like he was astonished. Like it blew his mind. I'm like, teaspoon, that hurts my heart there, buddy. Man, I was, I was, you know, I was, I will go down in Raleigh Christian Academy history as the greatest bench warmer that ever ever played on the team. No, I'm just kidding. But I, I'm a sports fan, and I like, I like, like, radical comeback stories. And there have been a few times when my team, y'all know who my team is, when my team has been down, and I mean down by a lot, and you just knew they were going to lose, but they clawed back, they clawed back, they clawed back. It happened last year. Uh, I think Elisha was with me, or maybe both boys. They, they and I went to a, a football game last year. I think Carolina was playing Wake Forest, and, man, we got down by like 21 points in the fourth quarter or something crazy like that, and we 
fought back, fought back, fought back, fought back. And like, you know, the last drive of the game, we won the game. And I'm, I was, I was like, <laughs> you know, just it's so excited, just glad. And I mean, I was like, <laughs> I mean, I was laughing, not because it was funny, but I'm like, I can't believe this. That's that's the laughter. That's the idea of Sarah saying vocally to anyone who would listen but to the Lord, that, hey, all those who hear our story, (laughs) they may find it hard to believe, but it's nonetheless true. I mean, the proof is in the baby (laughs) that we're holding in our arms, and we're, we're, I'm 90 and he's 100. (laughs) Cause anybody who knew them to be like, (laughs) I can't believe it, but I'm believing it because it's true. Laughter. Not laughter as in I don't believe it. Not laughter as in ridicule. Not laughter as as in this is insane and you're off your rocker. But laughter as in utter praise and glorifying the Lord. Putting the spotlight on God. Being reminded of how awesome and great and powerful the Lord is. And that there's nothing too hard for him. In verse 7, and she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And I just have to imagine, you have to know that this dear elderly couple, and I know some scholars say that at this time, at this time, and again, they have reasons to say this, that at this time, that a hundred years old for a man and 90 years old for a woman was not quite apples to apples to what you and I have in our mind. They say that because perhaps it was relatively close to the time of the flood or after the flood, and you know that since the flood, that Ages and lifespans have gotten younger and younger and younger and younger. But still, nonetheless, 100 years old is 100 years. <laughs> 90 years old is 90 years. It's still a miraculous, a miraculous thing that the Lord did for this, this elderly man and this elderly lady that long since passed the time of being able to conceive and have a, have a baby. And yet the Lord did it. The Lord performed that miracle. Now, obviously, it wasn't an immaculate conception, not in the, not in the sense of how we understand Christ and his virgin birth. No, it was not a virgin birth at all. There's only been one virgin birth, and that was the Lord Jesus. But it was miraculous in the, in the sense that God... God superintended and worked in the natural laws of this universe and of health and the human body. And God, God stepped in. God enabled that. And only the Lord could have done this. 
This wasn't some fluke. This wasn't some, you know, it wasn't that the stars all aligned just right. It wasn't because it was a full moon or anything like that. It obviously definitely was the Lord. And they were rejoicing. And that's what we have here. And that's why we've entitled the message, A Promise Made is a Promise Kept. And so this morning I, I gave you the first point, and that is if God says it, it's as good as done. And we close this morning with the, in the message with asking this question, what promises of God do you need especially in your heart right now, in your life? What are you clinging to? What promise has the Holy Spirit from his word? I'm not talking about some promise of a man. I'm not talking about a misinterpretation of scripture or anything like that. I'm, I'm talking about the clear cut, clearly revealed word of almighty God. What promise in your life do you need God to echo in your spirit? What promise and, 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 and guarantee by the Lord do you need to hang on to? So this second truth I want to give you, truth number one, is that if God promises something, it's as good as done. Truth number two, God's delays are not denials. I love what Brother Waldrop just said and testified to just a moment ago. Sometimes the Lord does say yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says, remember what he said, not now. Not yet. And I don't know about you, but I don't always handle the no's correctly, and I don't always handle the not now correctly. I don't handle the not yet. I don't handle it well all the time when the Lord says, I want you to wait. I'm not going to answer that request right now. I'm not going to move in that way right now. I'm not going to reveal my answer to you right now. I want you to wait, Christian. I struggle with that. Many believe that Abraham and Sarah had to wait 25 years from the time the promise was made until the Lord fulfilled the promise. 25 years when they received the promise from God, he's 75, she's 65. Even in spite of what I just said a moment ago, you have to understand that when they received the promise, they were, he was going to be a father of a multitude and she was going to be the mother of a multitude. You just have to know, gang, that at that age, even at 65, that she, to be sure, she already had to have some kind of like, okay, or, okay, really, you know. And you got to know with each passing month and year that went by and decade, the glimmer of that, the possibility of that had to wane, or at least naturally speaking, it, it had to be a struggle to maintain that confidence in what the Lord had told them. In verse 2, I love what the scripture says here. Would you look at it with me in your Bible? For Sarah conceived, verse 2, for Sarah conceived and bare a son, Abraham a son, in his old age. Now, by the way, all of these phrases and terms and words, how many of you believe the Holy Spirit put every single thing, every word in scripture? Raise your hand, say amen right there. 
don't you think that even the arrangement of those words are on purpose? No doubt. Is it a coincidence, or as we like to say at our house, is it a dink that it says, Abraham, was, she bore Abraham a son in his old age, just highlighting the miracle. But keep reading. Now, when did this happen? Did it happen at the time of their own choosing? No. It says it happened at the time, watch this, at the set time. At the set time of which God had spoken. How many of you know that God doesn't always operate according to my timetable or yours? In fact, I'm 51 my limited life experience has revealed to me that very few times does God act on my timetable. But he's always acting on his timetable. And it may not make sense to my clock or my calendar, but it always makes sense to his. God has a set time. His ways are not always our ways. His time is not always our time. His thoughts are not always our thoughts. He has his own timetable. But, beloved, just because something hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't. The great New England preacher from a century ago, Phillips Brooks, was noted for his poise and his quiet manner. One day a friend saw Phillips Brooks feverishly pacing the floor like a caged lion. <laughs> And so he asked Phillips Brooks, he said, what's the trouble, Mr. Brooks? And Phillips Brooks said, the trouble is I'm in a hurry and God is not. <laughs> you know why I laugh at that? Because, buddy, that's my life. <laughs> Lord, I want you to do this and I want you to do it right now. I need you to do it right now. <laughs> It would make sense to me if you just go ahead and take care of it right now. <laughs> I mean, I, Lord, <laughs> I don't know if you know what time it is yet, but I'm kind of in a hurry on this one. <laughs> and yet God doesn't rush. He doesn't have to. He never gets nervous. His palms never sweat. <laughs> he never gets anxious. <laughs> One writer said that one of the hardest things we face in life is what seemed to us to be delays in God's actions. We pray, and the answer is delayed. And then he said this, and I love this. Then we fume, and we fret, and sometimes we even set about to work out the answers for ourselves. Now, who did this? Who, who actually do we see doing this in their life? Well, we see Abraham and, and Sarah doing this, right? Remember some years before? Remember the incident with Hagar and Ishmael? You see, Isaac, Isaac was not his firstborn. Isaac was the promised one. Ishmael was not, but Ishmael was his firstborn. You know why? Because both Abraham and Sarah got ahead of the Lord. 
they got impatient. They got tired of waiting on God. When God gave them a promise, they got tired of, 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 of trusting. They got tired of relying. They got tired of resting. And man, they just, they just went ahead and kind of took things in their own hands. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I think we've all been guilty of that at some time, of trying to manipulate situations and we take things in our own hands. God said, you just need to wait on me. God doesn't operate, one man said, in the realm of a clock. <laughs> God's not wearing a watch. I love what Numbers twenty three nineteen says. Listen to the word of the Lord tonight. God is not a man <laughs> that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. In other words, God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't change because he doesn't have to. He's perfect. There is no... No limit, no weakness in God's character that has to be improved. And so he doesn't have to change his plans. God has infinite knowledge of every situation. He knows what's happening. He knows what's going on. And he doesn't make any mistakes. And he doesn't have to rectify anything that he has done. And by the way, he doesn't have to justify it either. He doesn't have to give explanations. He's given promises Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? In other words, this verse is teaching us that God is not a man, so he doesn't lie. He's not a human, so he doesn't change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever made a promise and not carried it through? And the overwhelming answer that we have, the obvious answer is no. He's never done that. Never. Truth number one, when God makes a promise, it's as good as done. Truth number two, God's delays are not denials. It doesn't mean he's not going to. It just means he's working according to his own time. And then this third truth and statement. Impossible situations never intimidate God. Now, buddy... You talk about an impossible situation with man. That's what Abraham and Sarah were faced with. Their situation, apart from the Lord, had impossible stamped all over it. In verse 4, it talks about Abraham circumcising his son Isaac on the eighth day as the Lord commanded. He was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And then she says, verse 6, we read it a moment ago, God has made me to laugh, so all that hear it will laugh with me. Verse 7, I have borne Abraham a son in his old age. There in verse 7, for those who are in the habit of writing and circling things in your Bible, that phrase, in his old age, that statement seems to highlight the improbability, even the impossibility of this happening without God's divine intervention. I mean, gang, it was impossible. This would not have happened apart from the Lord. We said this morning that Isaac's name literally means laughter, uh, obviously reflecting the responses of both Abraham and Sarah when God <laughs> promised them a son in their old age. At first, they laughed in disbelief, <laughs> but now they're laughing in faith. 
and in praise. Isaac was born when his daddy was 100. (laughs) And his mama was 90. (laughs) I know they didn't have daycares back then. But if they did, (laughs) can you imagine? (laughs) Them showing up. (laughs) Drop off their youngin' at preschool. Uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, excuse me, ma'am. <laughs> Is this your great grandson? <laughs> or great great grandson? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Boy, do we have a story for you. <laughs> oh, me. <laughs> and you got to laugh. And you got to say, How awesome is God? So I ask you tonight, do you have any impossible situations in your life right now? Listen to Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? (laughs) At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and by thy stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Luke 1, 37, For with God nothing shall be impossible. And then Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Now unto him, that's Jesus, that's the Lord, who is able, he's able. Let's just, let's just stop right there, gang. He's able. Able for what, preacher? Able for whatever you really need. He's able to do. Exceeding. That means going beyond. (laughs) Abundantly. Above anything that I can ask or think or imagine. That God in his infinite power... He doesn't just do more than what I ask or think or say. He is able to do exceeding abundant, exceeding abundantly above. I mean, just when you think he can't do any more, he can. Just when you think you've reached the limit of what God's capacity can do, he does more. That's, that's your father, by the way. That's your God. That's not just somebody else's God. That's your God. He can meet your needs like that and not just meet your needs. He can exceed your expectation. I don't understand all that he does. I don't understand all the reasons why. Sometimes he chooses to do and act in certain ways and allow certain things and do certain things that are not pleasant all the time. I don't understand all that, but here's what I do know. I know he can. I know he can. I know tonight, whatever your need is, God can meet it. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, whatever you need tomorrow, some of you need some things tomorrow. And let me just go ahead and tell you, God can and will come to your aid and give you your greatest need 
not, not, not won't, not greatest expectation, not greatest dream. He's not going to try to make it easier on you, but whatever he's going to do is going to be for your good and for his glory. Let's go ahead and mark it down. That's what his promise is. So let me give you some takeaways. First of all, tonight, by the way, are you still with me? Say amen. First of all, give to him, give to him, place in his hands your impossible situation. You say, preacher, what if he chooses not to work in it how I want him to? Okay, then that's okay too. You know why? Because he's God and I'm not and you're not either. And we trust him with the outcome. But I'm going to ask you something. How are you doing? How are you doing, my brother? How are you doing, my sister, with you holding on to that impossible situation yourself? How's that turning out for you, big boy? It's not turning out too good, is it? You know why? Because God never intended for you or me to hang on to those impossible things. That's beyond our scale and our strength and our scope. He created us with weakness. We glory in our weakness because only then will we relish and lean upon his strength. And his strength is made perfect through our weaknesses. So tonight, would you place that impossible situation? I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is that's looming in your conscience and your spirit and your mind. I don't know what wall you can't move through. I don't know what mountain you can't climb over. I don't know what the barrier is. I don't know what it is in your life. I do not know if it's financial, relational, physical, spiritual. Would you take that impossible situation, though, seriously and intentionally, legitimately, prayerfully, put it into the hands of the only one who can do something with it. Is it an impossible prayer request? Is it an impossible need? Is it an impossible sin to overcome? Is it an impossible person that you think will never be saved? Is it an impossible situation to resolve? You remember the old song that we... God specializes in things we say are what? Impossible. And he can do what no other one can do. Statement number two, know that regardless of how he chooses to work, he is still worthy to be praised. You say, Christian, is this a feel-good sermon? No. This is a truth sermon. A feel-good sermon would tell you that every single John Brown thing you want, God's going to work it out exactly like you want him to work it out. Now, let me tell you what that is, gang. That's heresy. That's unbiblical. That's not Bible. But nobody has said that to you. But I stand on the truth of the Bible, and that is this, that God has obligated himself to work 
for your good and for his glory. That means that whatever circumstances he allows or brings or initiates or manipulates, he's doing it so that it will make you better. It will make you more godly if you respond to it correctly. It'll make you more humble. It'll make you more sanctified. It'll make you more God-dependent if you let him work. That's what that means, your good. It doesn't mean it is good. It doesn't mean it feels good. It doesn't mean it tastes good. It doesn't mean that it looks good. It means it's going to produce good in his people. Somehow, some way. And then it's for his glory. Because in the end of it all, he's the only one worthy of praise. Give to him your impossible situation. Know that regardless of how he chooses to work, he's still worthy to be praised. And then finally, rejoice that he can turn your heartache into a reason to worship. I love what it says in verse 1, and I can't help but take you back there as we close. Would you look in verse 1, please? The Lord visited Sarah. I said this morning that the word visited there literally carries the idea that God would come by and he would drop, like he would drop off a gift and then take off. You know what we call that in the New Testament as we understand the Bible? We call that grace. And here's literally what we could say, that God visited Sarah with grace. Here's how we could say it. God graced Sarah. God did for her, God did for them what they could not do. Wait a minute, does this sound familiar? God did for them what they couldn't do for themselves. He graced them. He visited them with grace. He gifted them with something that was not of their own making or creation. They were totally Literally impotent to do anything about it. And yet the Lord stepped in. (laughs) By the way, if you're saved tonight, is that not exactly what he did for you and I when he saved us and redeemed us? (laughs) He graced us with salvation. He turned our whole life around, turned it right side up did for us what nobody else would or could do and what we couldn't do for ourselves. He visited Sarah with grace just as he in Christ has graced us. And I want you to listen tonight, whoever you are, we do not, therefore, we do not have to be defined by our greatest disappointment by our greatest hurt, by our greatest failure, our greatest shame, our greatest struggle, our greatest fear, and our greatest weakness. And she said, I want you to know that God has caused me to laugh. He's caused me to rejoice. 
I look straight ahead and I see Brother Chris and you know Brother Chris's story, Miss Joy's story of how the Lord over these last four years really has taken them on a journey, not just Chris, but Joy as well on a journey. And they would stand up tonight right here and testify that God has showed them so many things. Things that looking back if they had a chance not to have gone through the struggle, things now that have become so precious to them, they're not sure they would have changed anything. You know what that is? That's grace. That's God doing what he said in Psalm 30, verse 11. Thou hast turned for me my mourning, my weeping into dancing. Don't let that mess you up, okay? <laughs> he's not talking about doing the... Doing the Scooting boogie, okay? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about rejoicing. <laughs> not the Texas two-step, all right? He's talking about worship and praise and exaltation and exaltation. He's turned my crying seasons into rejoicing times. He, he, he's put off my sackcloth and he's wrapped me, girded me with gladness. Verse 12, I love this. It tells us why. To the end <laughs> that my glory may sing praise to thee and that I will not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. He can turn your mourning into rejoicing. God can turn your weeping into praise. He can turn your fear into boldness. He can turn your bondage into freedom. He can turn your shame into laughter. And your greatest hurt doesn't have to be what defines you. I had a counselor ask me some time back, Christian, what in your life has been your greatest hurt? And I couldn't even get the words out. I knew what it was. I was a little bit embarrassed, though, that I let it be my greatest hurt. But I told him what it was, my greatest hurt, my greatest disappointment in life. And then I said this to him. I said, and what I'm embarrassed about is that I have let that define me so often almost every day of my life. And I want to tell you tonight, your biggest hurt and your biggest failure and your biggest frustration and your biggest weakness is not what God wants to define you. <laughs> he wants his grace and his goodness and his power to define his people. Let the glory of God and the greatness of your Father define you. I don't know what you need this evening, but I know God knows what you really need. And he already has it on the way. Somewhere, somehow, sometime, he's going to grant it and grace you with his presence so that one day you can stand and you can sing your song of deliverance and give him the glory for it.